Welcome to the Garbage Pod. One pod, one load of garbage. 29 and 28. Remanded in custody. There's something curious about this broadcast. Hello everybody and welcome to episode 24 of the Garbage Pod. There'll be a certain flavour that'll be running through today's show and I'll be chatting with a guest too. Everything will become a little bit clearer as I give you a little taster of what the show is about. Tenor entry gets you some uh, beer tokens basically and a glass. And a glass. Uh, And a a wristband. wristband. (laughs) (laughs) It's like going down the uh, It's like going, going, going to Wembley, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> like going down the tunnel. Keep, hey, keep walking. <laughs> How you doing? Good afternoon. Good, Good to see you again. Hi there. How's it going? Oh, tired. Promotion? I've been here since 6am, and I was here yesterday from 6am. Long old days, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. We were looking up at the site in the mornings. Yeah. On top of that, I was here until 1.30 in the morning last night. So no sleep. Yeah, very little sleep. Good thing for last day. Ah, fair play. Yeah, it's quite different than my usual odds. We've got the proper camera HQ calling kit in. So I was learning how to set that up on, uh, on Tuesday. Yeah. At the uh, technical director from the GBBF here. Right. So showing us the ropes. So basically, you can hear sort of a slight background hum. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, so we've got various refrigeration units which basically just freeze up some water, yeah. uh, freezes up around the edge, keep water in the middle cold, which is pumped through a bunch of pipe work. You can see those things hanging up behind you. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Some mesh frames, and they sit on top of the casks. Under those jackets. So basically, cool. <laughs> just like an element that you would have in a fridge. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's around the other way around, yeah. Yeah. Uh, can I have a certain kind of uh, hitching he- hedgehogs, please? Yeah. I got it on the bigger barrels down the end. There you go, sir. Two turkeys, please. for that. There you go. Thank you. Thanks very much. Oh, hello. That may be Mr. Tanner Shearer. Hello, Alan. Where? I am fine, thank you, sir. Whereabouts are you? In the car park. Right, I'll, uh, I'll come out to meet you. All right. See you in a moment. Bye bye. Shall we? Yep. <coughs> right. Through and he says I'm on I'm on some funny play equipment. I said, oh yeah? You go, no, I'm in the car park. <laughs> um Afternoon. Good to see you both again. Yeah, likewise. How are you going? Yeah, you are. Mark. Okay. Mark, Aldrich, Freddy, Mike, Elvis. How are you doing, right? James, my middle one. Hello, you are. Connor, my youngest. Beth, 
I am. He's with the hairy one. <laughs> Steve, Steve, Barbara. Hi. 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 Mrs. Deke. Mrs. Deke. Mrs. Deke. It's really weird because I feel like I know you all already through social camp. So. <laughs> Choices, choices. Which is Black Pearl. Black Pearl? Yeah. There's actually a beer of Black Pearl. Yeah. Nice. Good work. It's gonna be Irish though, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> the Black Pearl, so it is. I love I love someone else Black Pearl. I think I think that's what they missed out of the Pirates of the Caribbean films, isn't it? <laughs> that are not full of chemicals. Good beer. Good times. Regulars to the Garbage Pod blog will know that the Bullhawk and I took part in the Hitchin Beer and Cider Festival last month at the Hitchin Rugby Club and we hooked up with Alan Taylor Shearer from ATS Photography and 1800 Online as well as Freddie, James and Connor, his sons, Steve the Deke. and Steve's lovely wife Barbara for the occasion and I think everyone will agree that it was a great day out. The festival was organised by the Campaign for Real Ale's North Hertfordshire branch and one of the lovely folks at camera took time out of his busy schedule to chat with me recently. Here's what Ivan Seth had to say about how this year's beer festival went. Well, should we start with the popular brews of the event? If you want to talk about the beer of the festival, mm-hmm. that was the uh, Bartram's comrade Bill Bartram's egalitarian anti-imperialist Soviet stout, the luscious 6.9% imperial stout. Right, that's going to be an interesting one to ask for. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's a it's a classic for the region, um, Bartram's breweries, and you'll find this beer popping up in beer festivals here and there. And uh, if you're lucky, in uh, a pub, uh, it does tend to turn the pubs off because it's on the stronger side. That's around six point nine percent. But amazingly, while we did only have a nine of it. Um, so it's the smaller size cask. We did sell out of it first. What's doubly amazing is we sold out of it first and it won beer at the festival. We only, it only got a day and a half's worth of people voting, or a day and a half worth of drinking time for people to vote for it. So it probably a bit less than half, but you know, a good proportion of the people who went to the festival didn't get a chance. Wow. It's done very well there. If I know it's on in a pub, I'll try and hunt that one down. So I was very happy to see that Graham, our, our beer selector this festival, had, had got it on there. It, uh, Sean, it's a summer festival, and, and a stout has won, which is really interesting. For me, when uh, a beer is quite strong like that, it's, it's what I definitely call a supping beer, which is one of these ones you, sort of, you kind of nurture a little bit more. You hang on to that beer for a little bit longer then you would do something that was a little bit lighter, which you can neck quite easily. Yeah, I agree entirely for those styles, especially these Imperial Stouts. I, I much prefer to drink it out of a goblet <laughs> and sip it and enjoy the beer slowly. It's not something you really want to knock back. Because I, I find that you can, with those kind of beers, it, because you're taking your time over it, you, you, you tend to pick out a little bit more of the flavour. Different flavours seem to come out because of that reason. You're, you're taking your time over it. Yeah, they, they develop as they warm up a bit as well. I'm, I'm quite happy to drink a lot of the Imperial Stouts well above the sort of accepted 13-degree cellar temperature for real ale. Uh, for example, I know a brewer down south who puts a note on his bottle of an Imperial Stout. I think it's old Freddie Walker from Moore Brewery. Uh, I believe it says, drink this at 18 degrees Celsius. Oh, wow. Um, which is more of a wine temperature. Um, yeah, but it's, it works. It's not far off of room temperature, is it? I mean, room temperature is about, what, 21, I think, something like that. Yeah, so it's not, not far off the temperature you'd drink your... Uh, your red wine's at. Mm. It really kills me when people put red wine in the fridge. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it hurts. <laughs> I grew up in a restaurant in a in a, a wine region in Australia, and the things I see people do to wine, yes. 
let alone beer. Well, beers, when you've got like bottle conditioned beers and this, that and the other, and it's, people just wonder why it doesn't taste as good as they thought it was going to. It's because you haven't treated it with the respect that's due. Yeah. There's perhaps a lack of education um, in, the, in the public sphere that bottle conditioned beers, which is a pity, because they do, in my experience, tend to be a bit better. Uh, although the new range of breweries doing brewery-conditioned beers bottling mm. uh, are doing a better job. The problem is your typical sort of small cask ale brewery just sort of sends their beer off to a factory where it gets bottled. It gets filtered. In some cases, it gets pasteurized. Most of the, most of the typical real ale brands you see in the supermarket, the stuff in the bottle isn't bottle conditioned. Mm-hmm. The, so that causes all kinds of consumer confusion as to is this real ale or not, um, which is always a problem. And it just doesn't add up. You taste this stuff in a bottle, and compared to what your experience of it in the cask is, it just doesn't have the life in it. It doesn't have the body. I think this is probably why a lot of these brewers produce them slightly stronger in bottle as well. It gives back a bit. Uh, the runners up for Beer of the Festival um, included Buntingford Brewery's Hitch and Hedgehog. Which um, I actually tried, and um, I enjoyed that quite a lot actually it was it was a very tasty beer it was it it was uh, relatively crisp and hoppy for its color mm. uh, but uh, that was obviously designed with input from the uh, the hitchin uh, rugby football club who were adamant that it was uh, a color to match their colors which is the sort of maroon so steve up at buntington brewery tried to work out how to do this and got a beer that they obviously liked um, I have a feeling quite a few of the rugby club members voted for their beer. <laughs> <laughs> I would have thought so. Okay, now that's it. we've just got the one runner-up for the uh, beer of the festival. Okay. But both East Anglian breweries, which is great to see, and uh, in Buntingford's case, our local brewery. Am I right in thinking they're actually based in Royston, aren't they? Yeah, in, in Thurfield, just on the edge of Royston. They were originally in Buntingford, which is probably obvious from the name <laughs> yeah but uh, they moved um i think that they were actually running out of a brewery further north for a little while and uh they set up again when someone offered them some space at this farm in thurfield where they've got uh, you know they've basically got everything they need they've got the space they've got uh, a proper um draining floor fitted in they've got themselves a reed bed to uh, look after some of their environmentally friendly runoff so I've got quite a nice setup there. You do see their beer around a lot yeah. more these days. One of my first local beers when I actually moved into the area was a Buntingford. It was the Highwayman. Ah, yeah. That's uh, still their core bitter, basically. Mm-hmm. They have two sort of light, low-strength, low typical brown bitters. Uh, one's the Highwayman and the other one's the Twitchell. I think the Twitchell's a new ad- addition to the list. We've got the cider of the festival. We always run a competition for cider as well as beer. We have our uh, real cider fans within camera. And uh, this year, the Apple Cottage Ginger Winger won the cider of the festival, which is good because we like giving awards to our local producers. Which, yeah, it's a good thing. It's absolutely great. Cider, obviously, is a product people associate with uh, other parts of the UK, the West Country. Uh, we do have a few local cider producers. Uh, Apple Cottage is the only one in uh, North Hertfordshire, and we've got Mill White's is another Hertfordshire producer. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a few others here and there. There's a couple up near Cambridge, but the bulk of our cider does come from the West Country. But uh, we do get a good local following. I'm trying to think of the one I was going to try, but um, chickened out of. Um, was it the suicide? Was it? It was indeed. Yes. Yes, that was the runner-up. Um, cider of the festival because <laughs> that was like, like eight point something wasn't it it was eight percent yeah and obviously that gives it a popularity there's a there's always a an element of which uh, the strong one and we always get the hardcore cider guys who will come along and and drink this stuff by the pint quite happily and cope with it amazingly <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i mean that was uh, so yeah uh, ginger winger cider of the festival Wiscombe Suicider, the runner-up. I was just looking through some of the ciders. Your average is about 6%, isn't it? Uh... Yeah, the ciders do come through a good percent or two stronger than the beers. The highlight of the festival was our 
uh, giving our annual Pub of the Year award to the Orange Tree and Bulldog. Uh, we will always prefer to give these awards at the festival, uh, sorry, at the pub, but our schedules just didn't meet up with Rob's, unfortunately. Uh, but he was more than happy to accept his award at the festival. Uh, of course, that means there was probably a bigger crowd to see it. Brilliant advertising for them, really, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, we had the Comet there as well, um, so they were keen, and the Comet got got a, a photo. So uh, that's, that's good good work for Rob as far as everything goes. I think so, I might have to venture over there, actually. I, he's done a great job there. I mean, Green King doesn't have the best of reputations in the area. Probably more a matter of the fact they have a lot of pubs. So you go to a pub, it has a very good chance of having Green King written on it. Mm -hmm. And if it's not very good, and you go, well, it's a Green King pub. Whereas Rob kind of proves the opposite. So the Honestry is a Green King pub. Um, it just has the right guy running it. And he's in with the real ales. He's one of the guys who runs the Baldock Beer Festival. Oh, um, uh, right. He knows what he's doing. He likes good beer. That's what you need in a landlord. Uh, at the end of the day, the pub co can work against you a bit. But if you don't have a good landlord, you don't have anything. And Rob kind of proves the point that it is possible to go all the way and get a pub of the year award, even under the, the thumb of one of these companies. And it's a bit of business sense, really. He's taken a bit of a hit negotiating with Green King to allow a few free of Thai beers. So he's not just restricted to the Green King range. He gets that. He also gets the Green King guests. Plus, he's allowed to have Buntingford beers on and any other microbrewery as well. So that gives him an edge. Pub of the year award doesn't come down to just beer. We have a collection of pubs in North Hertfordshire that regularly get, you know, not top marks, that's impossible, but get very good scores for the beer rating system, which is what we use to uh, uh, to rank the pubs for the Good Beer Guide. Right. So it is purely beer ratings that are submitted by our members. A very important thing for camera is to get members doing that. The pro main problem we have is encouraging people to give us their scores. Mm -hmm. so take their scores for the beer, and that's where we get our Good Beer Guide pubs from. We take the top group of those good beer guide pubs and circulate uh, voting forms to the members. And the beer comes into it, yes, but because there are beers in most of these pubs is going to be almost perfect, you've got to come down to other things the pub offers. It tends to be a tight competition because we're obviously the Orange Tree is a new pub. The pub has been there for hundreds of years, but under Rob's leadership, what it is now, we've got a new pub there. Um, so the competition's getting a bit tighter now. Our other traditional regular pubs of the year need to uh, need to keep fighting for it. <laughs> Definitely. But that's a good thing, though, isn't it? Yeah, it's a good thing for quality all round. I mean, we've got one more pub that is in the running for this. That's one more pub than we had. Unfortunately, it, it means we've got... You know, it, it pushes one pub out of the Good Beer Guide because we've only got such a quota. I think Camera HQ give us about 17 pubs in North Hertfordshire that we can fit in the guide. Wow. Uh, which is really tough because there's, there's, we've got more than 17 rather good pubs. And it's, it's sad when you've got a pub that has just sort of slipped out. And what you hope is that that, that means they will try a bit harder. Um, what we really want as well is more people doing the beer scoring because that's kind of the, the core of it, is getting people into pubs and... Uh, and enjoying the beer and telling us about it. Absolutely. What about the figures for the amount of people that actually uh, turned up? Do you have anything for... Yeah. Um, so we had just over 2,100 uh, people come into the festival. Um, that's people who were of drinking age, obviously. Right. Um, people who paid on the door or who were camera members um, or roundtable members. Uh, I mean, the, the festival itself is is not just camera we've got the roundtable guys um who we've been dealing with the whole time for the hitchin festival in the town hall so their members get in um free of charge and then the rugby club were involved at this time obviously their members were getting in free of charge because there are about 900 of them <laughs> <laughs> yeah we uh had uh, the count the exact count i've got is 2119 people which is actually less than we had in the town hall last year so it's interesting that we didn't quite get as many people, but not necessarily surprising considering that it's not in the middle of town anymore. So we get a lot, a lot less casual people just wandering in, seeing the sign in the town centre and saying, oh, there's a beer festival around the corner. So, so pretty much everyone who came to the festival was coming through the festival because they knew it was there. Well, uh, I, I kind of enjoyed the, the atmosphere there. 
It was it was very relaxed. It was very family friendly. Yeah, I I enjoyed that very much. I think the atmosphere of the festival was definitely an improvement. I think that yeah the the venue provides that. It was it's just not practical to have families and children in the town hall. Um, so while we do have a slot where it was okay to to come along with the kids um, in the afternoon, that was basically it. So you had much more of a an event slash busy pub atmosphere in the town hall, whereas we really had more of a festival atmosphere. And we got a lot of positive feedback about it as well. Um, I mean, you also we, had... Feedback's usually mixed for these festivals. We yeah. use the little feedback forms with the voting, and uh, we actually managed to get 40 positive comments about the location and the, and the vibe. So that's pretty amazing. And you had the weather on your side for the majority of, of it as well, which was great. I think we have a lot to thank the weather for. Um, uh, the, te- the marquee space, as you would have seen, wasn't huge. If we'd had rain, it would have been really hard. Uh, and when we do the festival again, which seems to almost be a certainty, um, we will probably endeavour to have a bit more marquee space. So it was basically just a um, really a tester to see how you could put things together in that space. Now that you and the rugby club know how successful it was, you can expand on that, I guess. Yeah, I mean, we've, uh, we had no idea what to expect. Um, there are obviously worries that people would be turned away by the location, despite the fact it's actually almost exactly the same walking distance from the station. Um, it's just not the town centre. That, that is the one thing about Hitching, really, is the, the the train station is pretty much nowhere near the town anyway. So, um, so all of our all our external visitors had about the same distance to cover. Mm-hmm. But all the typical town crowd and local um, drinkers might have felt a bit, well, it's out there. There's nothing else out there. So uh, they might give it a miss. But uh, luckily, as again, going back to the weather, I think the weather helped us out massively. And what's good is we've got this sort of bookmark now. People will remember it. If the weather's not as good last year, so long as we have the covered space, it should work as well. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone seems uh, really friendly there, which was, which was great. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, definitely. It just it felt more relaxed. Um, and even in the evening, we didn't have that kind of intense atmosphere. Again, not being in the town centre helps. We didn't have the people who were going to come out have a bit of beer at the festival and go clubbing there for example mm, that's... so while we had a few less people they were more relaxed they were more there for the beer festival than just passing through now the interesting stat is that while we did have a few less people uh, they drunk 1800 more pints than last year Wow, so less people but more consume, uh, consume beer. Wow. Basically nearly an extra pint per head. Um, <laughs> that's pretty impressive. That that, is... that people, people stayed around longer. Um, they lingered. They, they, uh, the atmosphere really led to that. Because we did take the risk for this festival. We bought more beer. Obviously to sell that much more beer, we had more there. Um, so we used the space. We fit in as much beer as we really could with our kit. And it worked out very well in the end. Obviously, in future, we've got to buy more cider. Uh, the thing is, you will find that that when the weather gets warmer, people tend to go for ciders. A lot of people do go for ciders. The important um, thing with cider, though, is that whatever's left at the end of the festival doesn't get thrown out. So if we buy an excess, mm. as long as we don't open them all up at once, we can sell them on to the pubs. So normally at our festivals, we have cider left over. And the local pubs that like their real ciders will buy that off us. So there's no real excuse for running out of cider if you know what to expect. Yeah. We know next time that there's a potential to sell more. So all we have to do is buy more if we have cider left over. And even if you've got half of one of those polys left over, the a pub will take that from you. 
because um, um, it doesn't go to waste. <laughs> when when I left you on on the Saturday, you were on a on a cider run. You were off to um, one of the pubs. Yeah, to go and get uh, some we more. were really <laughs> lucky. Our cider num was running down. On Saturday, we did get more delivered by Apple Cottage, uh, but that just went really quickly. So the Half Moon, uh, which is uh, probably the, the best cider pub in Hitchin, as well as a very good beer pub, uh, came to our rescue um, because they have a good stock in their cellar. So I ran off and picked up some more cider there, but that didn't last very long either. <laughs> The food was a, a, a new thing to the festival in a way because, again, we weren't so limited by space. Uh, the Hitchin Town Hall Festival just has that one kitchen area and it's sort of like a, a challenge as to who we get in there. We didn't do too badly last year. We had the Radcliffe, one of local pubs, in there along with the, uh, the Cardona and Sons, a sort of local smallholder. Mm -hmm. They did quite well, but as we always do, we got a lot of complaints about a lack, lack of vegetarian food. Uh, okay. We do have a lot of vegetarians coming to the festival, um, or enough that the, the, the complaints register. So we've tried to do a lot better this time. Uh, we still got another complaint, <laughs> um, as you always do. So uh, the, the uh, chef uh, Martin uh, in the kitchen. Oh yeah, he was doing the um, pasties and stuff, wasn't he? Yeah. So he was he was trying to churn out as much vegetarian stuff as possible. And the thing is, whether it was vegetarian or not. Everyone was eating it, um, so it was, it was all very good. Uh, the South African curries went down brilliantly, got a massive amount of good feedback for them too. And we, as usual, we had the uh, local Wobbly Bottom cheese guys in for a couple of the days. Mm -hmm. and they didn't show up on the Saturday because uh, that's when they tend to find a local farmer's market. What else was there? Oh, the usual, the olive lady with her uh, pies and... Um, yeah, well, because when we when we arrived, uh, she wasn't there, and you kind of uh, <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd taken her spot. Commandeered, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I had I'd had uh, probably about four hours sleep the night before, so I was, I was in, a, in a low point of the cycle. You sort of <laughs> go up and down when you're doing this sort of thing. Um, yeah, and just outside there, actually, we had a go with the barbecue as well. Um, yeah, that's... He, did, he, he was just knocking out burgers all day. It's amazing. That smelled absolutely awesome. <laughs> Uh, the, the value of space is being able to have this, this variance, this variability of things. To be honest with you, a rugby club is an ideal place to have a beer festival because most people who attend rugby games drink. <laughs> yeah, and there's actually a good, a, a good connection between the rugby community and the real ale community. A lot of, lot, lot of rugby people I meet locally um, I meet in pubs, <laughs> um, usually with a, a real ale bent. Um, yeah, I you, tend to agree with you there, actually. If you saw their bar in there, I mean, while it's just a sports club um, as such, not a pub, they do have a set of hand pumps as well as the, the lager kit. So they definitely backed us up on, on both providing the venue and hopefully drinking a fair bit of beer, too. <laughs> Crichton, what are you doing, man? Oh, sir! I'm listening to the Garbage Pod. It's a podcast I found in the podosphere. I asked Ivan, what is classed as local when stocking beers and ciders? In North Hertfordshire, we class any Hertfordshire beer as local. Right. So, and our radius is 25 miles, I think. Uh, so basically, you have anything from Hertfordshire yeah. or something within 25 miles of your pub um, or beer festival in our case. In our case, that cuts straight through the centre of Cambridge, and the Cambridge Brewing Company, which is the new brew pub in Cambridge, uh, just cut it in as local ale. So we managed to mark them in there. <laughs> That's lucky. <laughs> but, and the other obvious local ones, the B&T, which is in um, Bedfordshire. So it's, it's across the border, but it's really close. So they're, they're another one of our yeah. local breweries that we almost always have at the festivals. And uh, Red Squirrel are uh, another popular local brewery. Um, again, it's down down near uh, Hemel Hempstead these days. Oh, uh, right. It used to be Hartford, but uh, they moved. Uh, but it's Hertfordshire, so we're happy to call them local. Then I asked, apart from running beer festivals, what other events are in the North Hearts camera diary? As a branch, we have a 
bunch of things we run regularly in the area to try and attract people out to pubs. We run pub rambles uh, a couple of times a month. Uh, usually centered around areas that aren't too hard to get to. So we tend to run them regularly in Royston, uh, Bulldock, Fletchworth, Buntingford, Hitchin, Nebworth, Stevenage are our regular areas. Of course, each of those places have uh, quite a collection of pubs, so the rambles change around each time. Uh, yeah, as well as the pub rambles, obviously, um, on foot, which are town-based, we want to get people out to countryside pubs as well. So once a month we run a minibus ramble where members can come along and it costs them just uh, six quid. And uh, we take them out to a selection of pubs uh, in a particular area of North Hertfordshire. The next one is on the 20th of July. Right. And uh, six quid for uh, members to run around the, the area, and uh, 10 quid for non-members. And uh, you can see all the details on our website for these things. Uh, and we're going to be going to the Fox and Hounds in Barley, Checkers in Barley, Tally Ho in Barkway, Woodman in Nuthamstead, Blind Fiddler and Antsy, and the Countryman Chipping, which, uh, as from my memory, that's a good collection of actual pubs, of the rather good pubs. Um, well, sounds... So the minibus rambles are something we love to see people coming out on because it gets them to these pubs they otherwise don't get to. It gives the pubs a bit of extra business and people's awareness towards them as well. Brilliant. Uh, aside from that, there are regular things as the, uh, the town rambles and the countryside rambles. We have a meeting every month with an open meeting every second month and we love to see members come along to them. Um, they're as much a social event as a meeting. And our next branch meeting, if you want to get involved with the camera branch and the beer festivals and all of this, yeah. is uh, at the Lytton Arms in Old Nebworth. Um, that's on the 29th of July. So, yeah, it's great to see more members out there. Uh, so the biggest problem we have is we've got, oh, I think it's nearly 800 members in North Hertfordshire at the moment. Wow. But very few of them are people you see. They're members because they support camera, but they don't necessarily want to get involved. And what we really need is a branch to get more people involved so that we can run festivals more successfully. And uh, it's just good to see people. It's good to go out on a pub ramble and have a few people along instead of a collection of the usual three or four. Um, when you have a ramble and you've got ten people with you, it really changes the atmosphere. It's a lot more fun. So um, how would one join Camera? The best way for someone to join Camera ad hoc is to probably use the Camera HQ website and uh, join there. Uh, aside from that, coming to any of our meetings, the, uh, the branch meetings, the rambles less so, possibly the minibus trips, we all have membership forms and we have information about how to join. The Hertfordshire Pints of View newsletter, which you'll find in a lot of the real ale-centric pubs and many other pubs as well, always has a membership form in the back of it too, so you can join by post. But these days we do tend to get a lot more people joining online. We always sign up a few members at the beer festival. I think at this beer festival we managed to sign up eight members. Interestingly, I think only two of them were actually from North Hertfordshire. Wow. <laughs> um, which is interesting. I don't know. I, I, I haven't seen the stats, so I don't know where the other six members came from, but they've come all the way to Hitchin and joined Camera. So this is rather interesting. <laughs> they might, may have just been from across the border in Bedfordshire. I don't know. I don't have the numbers. Our next big sort of outing is uh, it will be the GBBF in uh, August. So, oh, the Great British Beer Festival. Yeah, we always have a group go down to that. Um, it's going to be a bit different this this year because normally our group goes down there with the intent of sticking up as many Letchworth Beer Festival posters as possible. Unfortunately, we won't be doing a beer festival in Letchworth this year. Uh, the Greenhouse was a fun venue. It got good feedback. The festival was successful. And that's not really, the, the greenhouse itself isn't the main problem. It's that we really need six months between beer festivals. It takes six months to get one of these things off the ground. Right. And now that Hitchin has been forced to shift into summer because the town hall was closed, uh, outdoor beer festival really needs to be in the warmer weather. Mm. Uh, if you recall the greenhouse from last year, it was pretty chilly in there. It was a little bit. Yeah. And that was September. If we had to push that back closer to Christmas, it would be a refrigerator. Uh, so the, it's not a viable venue for us with a six-month schedule um, from now. I mean, we are talking winter. Mm. So we, um, are, we are waiting for uh, a different venue, really. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, if, if we were to be able to pick up a Letchworth Festival again, um, it would need to be able to handle the cold weather. Um, Princeton obviously worked very well for us, but we had a festival there for many years. Uh, but we don't know what we whether we can use that again. Um, I, I believe it's been... Uh, Leased to uh, one of the colleges or something. Yeah, um, I think it's now called the Da Vinci Center. Oh, okay. A change of name makes it different. <laughs> I don't know quite what they yeah. do in there. It obviously, sounds very arty. Yeah, um, but um, uh, we we had tried to approach them and didn't have much luck with being able to use Princeton, and there just doesn't seem to be any equivalent spaces in town. Uh, there's something in the uh, one of the Heritage Foundation's buildings, um, the Spirella building, I think. But, oh, uh, yeah, the the ballroom, the yeah, ballroom in the Spirella. Unfortunately, the logistics for getting beer in there are pretty much impossible. We're at a loose end. Hello, my name's Richard Vobes. I'm TV's The Bald Explorer. You can find me on the Community Channel. It's on digital, on Freeview, and some of the other ones. Anyway, I'm running a special campaign on kickstarter.com to try and raise some money to help fund the next episode where I go looking for some hidden heritage. If you're interested in the show and you've seen episodes of it and you'd like to support me, you can find out all about it on the Kickstarter website just by putting in The Bald Explorer into the search engine. Otherwise, you can put kickstarter.baldexplorer.com and go straight to our page. And there you'll see exactly what we're trying to achieve. You can watch the video, read the updates and all the rest of it. Anyway... I'm the Bald Explorer, and I want to say a big thank you to Mark. I hope it all goes well in your TGP episode. Till the next time, bye-bye for now. Thanks, Richard. I'll put a link to Richard's Kickstarter project in the show notes for this episode. You're listening to The Garbage Pod. Where your input is our output. So whereabouts are you from then? In um, I'm from a town called Dunsborough. Uh, <laughs> Perth's the capital of Western Australia. Yeah. Uh, yep. So it's about three quarters, I guess, of the way down, maybe further than that. Okay. The uh, left-hand side of the continent. Uh, so it's a, the habitable part of Western Australia is very small. It's right in that bottom corner. All right. So it's about three quarters of the way down there. And then I grew up about three and a half hours' drive further south down the coast. So it's quite a quite a small community then. I was tiny when when I was growing up. Yes, <laughs> completely different these days. Um, taken over by money. Uh, as, as it normally is. My my family lived on a couple of acres. Uh, we had a restaurant that was about a five minute walk from the centre of town. All right. Um, and that was a two acre property. Because most of the built-up part of the town was on the other side of the town centre, which was the coast, which was the beach. But, of course, if I go back there now, my family doesn't live in that place anymore. Um, there's a super, there's a, like, a, like a Tesco sort of thing next door to it, which used to be a paddock full of sheep. Uh, and in all directions, it's, it's built up and housing. It's not a Coles, is it? It's Coles, not a, yes. Oh, it is a Coles. So in Australia, supermarkets aren't allowed to sell alcohol. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> but they have got around it a bit these days. It didn't used to happen, but uh, if you go to a supermarket that's a built like a proper supermarket built complex, there's always a supermarket, and then right next door to it is a booze shop, <laughs> both owned by the same company. And often they have a have a connection in between them anyway. They have separate cashiers and they operate uh, independently. <laughs> Australia's got a pretty growing, vibrant craft ale, craft beer scene. Um, much like New, Ze- New Zealand does. It's really quite crazy over there. But they've got this big thing for craft beer, and they don't have much tradition holding them down. So the craft beer scene in Australia is probably more varied than what we've got here at the moment. Um, the, the, actually, in, in Australia is a, a, a Yuri's Night Ale, which I, I'd, I'd love to get my hands on. But <laughs> should just get a brewery over here to make one. Yeah, that would be good. That would be very good. <laughs> You're actually based in Cambridge, aren't you? We're living in a little village called Willingham. Um, we moved up here about a year ago. 
Uh, my work's in Cambridge, so it was sort of a, a logical move. We liked the Hitchin area, but because we had to move, we had a short period to move in, we focused on finding somewhere in Hitchin and just failed. And then we tried, uh, we tried Bulldog um, as our next best option somewhere we wanted to live. Um, and then uh, Letchworth, <laughs> um, which I'm afraid was third on our list. It was mo mostly to do with the pubs. <laughs> well, you see, Letchworth yeah. until 1961 didn't I, have any. I, yeah, I'm well aware of the history. It's <laughs> <laughs> um, an interesting one. Uh, but there's also, it's, it, it, has, well, it does have pubs now, but it's the Letchworth community doesn't really seem to have the interest to support their pubs well enough. Mm, the, the problem you've got, I mean, the one that really does get supported well is the Arena Tavern. Yeah, yeah. I, I like, out of what's there, the Arena was my favourite. Um, not that there was a lot to choose from. <laughs> um, and you have the old uh, uh, Weatherspoons and whatever it is now, the Colonnade. The, the Colonnade, yeah. Um, yeah. Which are just not really my thoughts of places which is basically a hog shed really but um yeah. and the arena has it's really it's in this really funny location but you walk in there and it kind of looks and feels like a pub um kind of atmosphere somehow yeah it's a really good they they have a lot of um activities going on uh, and they're always involved in community stuff as well which is absolutely fantastic um but yeah it as you say i mean i don't think there is a uh, an estate uh, in Letchworth that actually has a pub on it. Mm. Uh, I know it, that was the one that shut down the um, uh, what was it called, the Pelican? Yeah, um, uh, that, there we was, chased that quite a bit, but that was, it was a hopeless case. <laughs> that there was some dodgy dealings going on there. Yeah, well, that's the problem, and there wasn't much support from the community, but also Green King and Tesco knew exactly what they were doing. They had it all sorted out and signed off before the fact really leaked to the public. Well, the guy who owns the um, supermarket on the precinct up there, he actually offered them more, more money. money. Than, yeah. yeah, but they weren't, they weren't taking up on that, because they'd already signed it off, basically. Um, it was all, all sort of done hush-hush before the event happened. And unfortunately, there's no um, there's no planning permission required to turn a pub into a Tesco. You can just do it. <laughs> that seems rather weird. So we watch the planning applications very carefully because as soon as an application goes in to stick up illuminated signs outside a pub, mm -hmm. it tends to mean that it's going to turn into a Tesco. <laughs> oh, right. That's the, the only planning permission you need is just be normal things like that. Um, you don't have a ch there's no change of use. Um, is the important thing. Yeah. The, so. the, there's a funny story behind uh, that pub, actually. Um, originally, it was called the Orange Pelican, mm. uh, and then uh, somebody wanted to make it a bit more hip, and they called it Ebenezer's, named after the guy who started the Garden Let's City, yeah, yeah. which went down like a Led Zeppelin because he was a Quaker. <laughs> And uh, yes, he... of course. <laughs> so um, yeah, they had to change the name to the Pelican very quickly. So yeah, that's that story. I think there was the, one of the other problems there is while there was a big enough community there, numbers-wise, there didn't seem to be a lot of support for the pub. Um, the, the area that it's on is not one of the best areas, to be honest. Uh, but there is a community centre next door, and they have a bar with subsidised mm. beer. Okay. So therefore, people were uh, getting membership to the community centre rather than go to the pub. Yeah. Our argument, camera-wise, in this case, is that it has the potential to be a viable pub mm -hmm. if you don't have a company in there like Green King. Um, who are pretty much squeezing the landlords for all they can. They tend to make it a lot more difficult for these places to be viable. And there are cases where the Green King pubs get turned over to um, uh, private ownership, and they succeed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When everyone goes, when Green Kings would swear this is not viable. Of course, Green Kings get much more money for it from 
someone who's going to buy it as a potential development. Of course, we have no idea how much Green King from, got from Tesco out of this current deal with the Pelican. Uh, I'm sure it was uh, attractive. And I'm assuming the Tesco's would have done the usual thing and given some money to the community as well, uh, which is one of their games, really. Yeah. <laughs> Where I'm from originally, Aylesbury in Buckinghamshire, there's a pub that... The Hop Pole? Yes, you know it. Well, I lived in um, Haddenham for my first six months in the UK because I was working in Aylesbury, which was where I worked for the first two years or so in the UK. Oh, right. Um, uh, there's a company out there called McAfee. Uh, yeah, to, I know them. Um, yeah, so it used to be Dr. Solomon. I actually used to live in, uh, live, I used to work in that block myself. We were one of the only companies that wasn't Dr. Solomon. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they had clearly sort of gradually taken over. I used to have to regularly walk across the car park from one side to the other just to move, just, just to get to a different office because they're an AV company. It's all very locked down. Hmm. And some of the work I was doing, I had to go into an area where I wasn't even allowed to take a mobile phone. So there was no way of doing it remotely. <laughs> they weren't connected to the internet in there because it's where they did the, uh, the malware analysis. So um, how, how long ago was this? Uh, this was in 2006. Uh, no, I, I was working in that block about two years before that um, and, and we were the first company on the right hand side yeah it was basically just that front section that's, that wasn't McCarthy wasn't it mm -hmm. yeah and you just popped over the road to the greasy spoon yes exactly it was the only <laughs> food nearby yeah. <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't as, as an Australian coming here for the first time it was re the food was really not very impressive being out there in Aylesbury Haddenham's all right though. I quite yeah, like Haddenham's nice. I mean, it's obviously not. It's great if you're doing stuff in Aylesbury. Um, I was staying in this sort of posh uh, serviced cottages while I was there, and it was all very comfortable. But in the context of being in the UK full time, I had to do a lot more, a lot of other stuff in London. I was in London one day a week, um, in theory, um, or variously in other countries so actually my first experience of pubs in and had numbers it was quite amusing because um i was supposed to meet up with someone and they were saying well we'll meet in the pub called the rat and i'm looking for this pub can't find this pub anywhere and it dawned on me after a while that they may have been talking about the rose and thistle and uh, ah. <laughs> <laughs> i guess they just didn't think about the fact that that's probably a, a local uh Name for the pub. term for the for the pub, yeah. It's, it's like there's one. Well, it's not there anymore in Aylesbury. It's now a, a ironically, a pub that closed down and now, has now turned into a Muslim education centre. Um, mm. <laughs> but um, it was called the um, the Greyhound. Somebody bought it out again, and they said, "Well, we don't want to call it the Greyhound because that's an old-fashioned name for it." So this pub was now known the Skinny Dog. Yeah, that's an improvement. <laughs> hmm. But yeah, the hop hole, because um, that's the um, Vail Brewery. Yes, yes. And because um, they've just uh, had an, uh, well, the, the pub itself has just had another management change because uh, oh. they were advertising. Aylesbury Brew Co. based there. The Aylesbury Brew, uh, Brew House, yeah, it's yeah. still there. It's still at the yeah. back. It's an unbelievable pub, really, because um, on the side of the building, it actually says it's a beer festival all year round, mm. which it pretty much is, because they, they have like 20-odd beers on the go at any one time. I, I remember walking in there and being greeted, you know, you walk basically straight up to the bar, don't you, and there's just this line of beer pumps. Oh, pumps, yeah. It's yeah. mind-blowing when you go in there. Mind you, my first festival was like that I, I thought oh my god where do i start you know yeah um, no, the hot pole was basically where i discovered that the uk can actually make beer that doesn't taste awful <laughs> um when i first moved here i was mostly offered fosters which doesn't taste oh, like come beer on. <laughs> um, it doesn't taste like anything and uh i think my first experience of car scale was probably 
something like London Pride really, really ropey. Uh, so it was your your Australian view of British beer, warm and sour, unfortunately. So I didn't touch the stuff for a while. <laughs> Lastly, we chatted about beer festivals and beer in general. The gamble with a real ale festival is when do you run out or do you run out? Because if you, if you run out, then you tend to get a reputation for being a festival that runs out. Um, which discourages people from coming on the last day, obviously. Um, yeah. If you don't run out, then anything you've got left over goes down the drain, basically. Mm -hmm. um, where we were lucky is that I think at last orders, we had 10 different beers on, uh, which is great. Which is quite impressive, really. For the customers. But what's doubly great is that they were all in kills, double 144 pint um, barrels. And uh, of the ten, I think six of them were chopped, which is we tilt them up just at the end to get the last bit that we can get out, hopefully without it going cloudy. And uh, that means that they basically had nothing in them. Um, so we didn't have a lot of beer. We probably actually shifted um, more than 90% of it. The problem with, these, with the, the, the styles... If you order too much stout, you're more likely to have some left over. Yep. There are basically just less stout drinkers out there, which annoys me because I'm a stout drinker. <laughs> um, we did have some dark beers left until the end, though. There was the, the XT8, I think, was left until the very end, in fact. What was the yeah. dark beer I had that I liked a lot? Pressed Rat and Warthog? Oh, yeah. It's a mild. Yeah, it was quite dark. Yeah, a dark mild. Hmm. We have that on and off. It's obviously the name is somewhat amusing, so it's and it's a popular beer and a good beer. Apparently, there's some music geekery behind it, which I don't know off the top of my head. The um, the brewery has a uh, a musical theme, Triple F Brewery. Oh right. Um, apparently, it's a Cream song, which is not my realm of music, so I don't can't really say much more about that. Uh. <laughs> I don't really know it either. I don't know some of their stuff. Um, it's obviously off the huge back catalogue, I would have thought. Um, <laughs> I, I had one that um, was recommended to me that I'd never actually tried before, uh, which was um, uh, Hophead, Darkstar. Um, oh, yeah, that's a classic beer. Um, Darkstar, one of our classic long-term... Well, uh, new real ale breweries it doesn't really work together long term and new but they're in the vein of places like Thornbridge that have a bit more interest to them compared to the regional breweries like Brains and Our Green King and the more established ones yeah uh, and Darkstar have a particular predilection for hops um, so the hop head is their light hoppy ale which is a, a very popular style at the moment um, there's another brewer of beer out there called Hophead from Brewster, which causes all kinds of confusion. <laughs> there was one at the Letchworth um, Festival that I was hoping was going to be at this one, because the three of us uh, that you met at the, at the Letchworth Festival, uh, we all tried this beer, and we decided it was our favourite beer of the, of, of the night. Uh, it was called Diablo. Oh, Summer Wine Diablo. That's uh, the one. That one beer at the festival at... Uh, Letchworth the year before. Oh. Um, I'm responsible for that one. <laughs> um, I actually went last year for Letchworth. I actually went up to Summerwine Brewery and picked that one up myself. It's uh, it's your modern style of of strong hoppy IPA. Uh, we were picking up some really odd flavours from that. We were picking up things like um, mango and stuff like that yeah, in it. So that's, basically a result of the of, of the modern trendy hops uh, most of which are imported from either U the US or New Zealand mm -hmm. uh, and that's uh, it's, it's an interesting style the IPA uh, it would, the IPA itself is a really debated term because obviously it has history behind it um, the things we brew and call IPAs these days don't have a whole deal in uh, in relation to the, uh, the IPAs original brew yeah before. 
And of course, the Americans have their own take on IPA, which is. Uh, I've I've tasted the uh, the Californian Pale Ale. Um, actually, Brewdog do one called Oh Dead Pony Club. Oh yeah, that's 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 different. Yeah, and that's that's not what Brewdog or most people would call an IPA. That's mm. more like your Hophead style of beer. Yeah, I, I quite enjoy that actually. Cent, I think. One of their lower lower um, yeah, yeah. brews because a, a lot of the um, uh, the brew dog ones have got quite high content. Yeah, well, that's the things like uh, Punk IPA uh, was brew dog's sort of classic beer. Mm. Well, it's still their core beer. Um, that came out at six percent, and it was much like um, uh, Thornbridge's Jaipur, which is in that vein as well. That IPA vein, that is. Yeah. The uh, Punk IPA has since been um, dropped down to 5.6, I think. Oh, um, just to make it a bit more acceptable to your typical punter. Um, 6% is considered to be quite strong in the UK. So <laughs> put a 5 at the front, it feels a bit more acceptable. So it, it's to go with what I would call your, your lager boys, really. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the big market to break into. Uh, to be honest... Hmm? Uh, the the punk um, for somebody who are used to uh, lagers and pilsners, I've always suggested to go for that to um, cross over into the realm of well, real beer. <laughs> yeah, it's a good starting block. It, it is. Yeah. <laughs> Though all of this, there's this class of pale beers which that is a job they're fulfilling very well. And the hophead's like that as well. Mm, very much you, so. It, because it looks good to the eye of your stellar drinker, because it looks the same colour basically, um, it looks very similar. So they look at this and go, well, that looks like the beer I drink. And they taste it. Of course, it doesn't taste like the beer they drink, but it tastes good. So it, it moves in that direction. And once you've got uh, your, your stellar drinker drinking the lighter ales more often, they tend to move on to the other beers as well. Um, yeah. We found that. We ob observed closely when we were living in Hitchin, uh, our uh, local had a crowd that were mostly uh, lager drinkers who graduated through time towards the ale. It was an interesting progression. If you're looking at a cider list for a beer festival, it's still very hard to get information about these ciders. You can get a list from the supplier. Uh, the cider is named after some random farm somewhere that uh, doesn't have a website, uh, let alone social media. Is this the reason why, when you're going through the, the beer tasting notes, um, uh, some of these beers don't have a lot by the side of them on the, on the, on the notes? Yeah, um, we will do the best we can to gather tasting descriptions for the beers. In most cases, we've never tasted some of these beers before. Uh, some web, some uh, brewers have you know, really complicated, detailed notes for each of their beers. Others, nothing. Not a single thing. And you've got to rely on either someone's knowledge, word, or word of mouth, or trying to get in touch with the brewer. Um, and trying to get in touch with the brewers can be a pain, uh, really. So we... Uh, tend to get maybe a, a, a small half sentence for some of them. This is why I found it very interesting to listen to Andy Skeen at, um, at Dominion um, because um, he sounded so interested in what he actually does. And when somebody is talking about what they do with so much passion, you just let them talk because you don't often get that. The Garbage Pod. Your input is our output. Before I go, I would like to thank Ivan for chatting with us, Richard Vobes for recording the Bald Explorer Kickstarter promo, and of course the Bullhawk and the Taylor Shearer clan for making the beer festival such a great laugh. Well, that about wraps it up for this episode of The Garbage Pod. Visit www.thegarbagepod.weebly.com for the show notes for this or any other episode of the Garbage Pod or TGP Extra. 
just look for the garbage pod show section in the menu. While you're on the website, why not have a nose about? You can find a little bit more about me and the rest of the crew and find out what's going on in the podosphere by reading the blog and much, much more. Let us know what you think of the show. Send an email to garbagepod at virginmedia.com Because your input is our output. Or you can use the social media icons at the top of the website, which include Twitter and Facebook. If you would like to subscribe to the show, you could do so via iTunes, the RSS feed, and now via YouTube. If you look on the right-hand side of the show's page, the blog, or even the video vault, you'll see a little button there that says Donate. If you like what we do, and you feel that you could give us a little something just to help us out a bit, we would be most appreciative. And don't forget, spread the word. Thanks for listening, and I'll speak to you again soon. Take care. The Garbage Pod is a Spamhead production. <laughs> How was your South African curry then? It's very nice. <laughs> I actually quite like it.